Welcome to A Street in Lockdown. This podcast is an insight into the lives of people who live in and around one road and how the COVID-19 outbreak has affected them. I'm Jane Vickers and live in West Hove on the UK's south coast. Though neighbours, I'd never met most of the people taking part and because of the rules around social distancing, all the conversations you'll hear were virtual. I hope it's not too long until we can meet face to face. But in the meantime, this is a street in lockdown. My name's Jane Robbie. I'm 50 years old and I live in West Hove with my 12-year-old son and currently a lodger uh, whose name is Matt. I am what we call a home companionship. Uh, I do home companionship, so for the elderly, uh, vulnerable, which might include people um, who have mental health challenges or who have cancer, or I'm just thinking of the client, someone who's got cancer, mostly the elderly and vulnerable. Well, it sounds like a really important job that you do and one that's been really, I imagine, affected by all of this, but we'll go on to talk about that. I just want you to describe, if you wouldn't mind, just how would you sum up your day-to-day life before coronavirus? I'm a bit of a social butterfly. So I have enjoyed um, before this, the lockdown, um, going out quite a lot. I was quite active in different groups, um, whether that be sort of recreational things, a gym, uh, seeing friends. Work-wise, I was able to go into people's homes, take them out, uh, socialise with them and all of my clients bar one has had to self-isolate um, so it's changed quite a lot since lockdown both socially and work-wise as well as obviously my son being at home because I'm home trying to do the homeschooling thing. Yeah that, and that, that's got its challenges hasn't it I mean how let's let's think about that a little bit because what's that like how is that because Obviously, you can't work from home because your work is predominantly out out and about meeting people. Exactly. Although some of my clients have asked that we have regular either Skype calls or phone calls, email um, correspondence. And I am doing some sort of admin work for some clients, sorting out financial things, pensions. So sort of the dry stuff, um, as well as checking in with them um, on average once a week, twice a week. Um, There's only one client I'm able to see uh, personally. So with regards to the homeschooling, um, we're trying to establish a routine. It's going okay so far. And I'm, if I'm honest, I am not putting too much pressure on my son at the moment um, in this time. I have struggled with his maths and so the the girl who lives upstairs from me in a separate flat, the family upstairs, she is tutoring Kai with his maths using Skype and shared screens twice a week. So we found a way around the bits which I'm not so good at. We've managed to find a way to um, to ensure that he's still learning at the level he should be. I, isn't it funny? I imagine there's parents up and down the country at the moment, sort of revisiting different stages in yeah. their childhood <laughs> education where they, oh, yeah, well, I remember the Romans or. 
my oh. son's 11. Um, uh, I've been looking at his hair thinking, oh, <laughs> how long is that going to last before one of us has got to get the scissors out? I try and attempt to be hairdressers. <laughs> I know it's hilarious, isn't it? I've bought some clippers and I've cl- managed to clip the side of my hair a little bit. He won't let me touch his at the moment because he said he doesn't trust me <laughs> but but um yeah we're all going to walk around in a couple of months when we're all exposed to each other again with really bizarre hairstyles aren't we i know it's going to be quite interesting so yeah. so how was that build up to coronavirus for you then and the, and the lockdown what was it a, because it did it was a gradual thing but there was a there was a kind of tangible i think building of pressure in the air that we knew that something was coming and it was just only a matter of time before lockdown was announced. What was that like for you? Well, I was actually ill the week before lockdown. So for me personally, it felt I felt really quite fragile and vulnerable because it, um, and I'm quite a robust, resilient person. So the week before, that's when I started to get my symptoms. And at the agency I work for, have they do think I had coronavirus. I'm not sure because I've not been tested. But what I found really difficult was before we went into lockdown, I was actually hoping we'd go into lockdown because there seemed to be a lot of confusion around what was or wasn't allowed. So that week for me before not feeling well and things like my my son's friends um, were having sleepovers at each other's houses and I wouldn't let Kai do that. I wouldn't let Kai go to London on public transport because his dad lives in London and he wanted to come via train down to Brighton and take Kai back to London for a few days and I wouldn't let that happen because at that time we weren't allowed to we were being encouraged not to use public transport so it, it for me I was I welcomed lockdown because at least it felt a bit more clear in terms of what the rules were and weren't um and I was ill so I was in bed for the five six days and then I was still ill into lockdown so it made it a lot easier for me in terms of the boundaries and being clearer about what we were and weren't allowed to do yeah and just talking about you feeling ill then I mean obviously you haven't been tested but what was what were your what were your symptoms of having it my symptoms the tuesday before lockdown i was working doing some admin work with a friend who i worked with every tuesday and although i went to her flat rather than being in a cafe and we sat at opposite ends of in her lounge so we were nowhere near each other really i started to feel really really tired and in the end i ended up lying on her settee with her laptop on top of me saying i feel absolutely exhausted and then I and then I just said to her, and I feel really a bit shivery and a bit weird and a bit hot and a bit cold. And then I just said to her, look, I need to go home and get in the bath. I just feel like I'm chilly, but then going warm. So that's what I did. I came home, cycled home, and I was really tired. I had to stop on the way, and then got in the bath, got into bed, um, said to Kai and the lodging mat, um, I'm not very well could you sort some food out? I just feel absolutely wiped out. And then I slept for about 14 hours, um, which is really unlike me. I'm a bit of a seven-hour sleeper. Um, I only woke up when my son, he was still going to school at that time, came into the bedroom to say he was going to school. And then I 
fell back to sleep again. Um, and then for the next few days, I went from being not what I thought was a fever. I was warm, but I wasn't sweating and I wasn't, I didn't have a persistent dry cough. So when I checked online to do the NHS test, it just said, do you have a persistent cough? No. Do you have a temperature? I didn't know if I, I didn't know if I had a big temperature. So I just said no. And then it said, you know, you, you don't have coronavirus. However, the next few days, um, yeah, I had a splitting, a really bad headache for about three days. And I got a strange sort of rash on my back. I was coughing, but not, it wasn't a dry, persistent cough. And then after about five days of going hot, cold, all of that, then I lost my sense of taste and smell for two weeks. And it was only when I then started to look online, because I didn't have a cold or anything, it my my taste of sense of my smell just disappeared. It was the bizarrest thing. There was no cold, there was no mucus, nothing. Um, it just vanished. So I started to Google why has my smell and taste disappeared? And then that led me to an online uh group of scientists looking for people who had lost their uh, sense of taste and smell from around the world, as in many different countries, they were seeing more and more people who had tested positive for the virus who had lost their um, taste and smell. Yeah. I was number 190 in this group of all different people. There were people doing research in Iran, India, uh, I just filled in questionnaire after questionnaire, and I felt like I'd found my tribe. <laughs> it was a, it, it it was there was a great comfort in being able to to sort of type away and say, yes, I had a really bad headache for a few days. Yes, my yeah. skin went a bit funny as well. I was really itchy. I thought I'd become allergic to my bubble bath, and then scientists say, no, that's one of it can be a reaction when you have a virus. So, yes, it was, it was interesting to find my tribe. Um, and when I found those, that was that was just as we went into lockdown, about a week after lockdown, I started to feel a lot better about the whole thing being in lockdown. Yeah. And you're so how long how long were you ill for in total? I was only had the sort of physical symptoms for about five, six days. I was all right. And then in the afternoon I'd be absolutely wiped out again and then I'd have to go back to bed and sleep for two, three hours. Um, and then, then as soon as my physical symptoms got better, that's about that's when I lost my uh, smell and taste for two weeks. After. So three weeks in total of not being completely all right. And now your your taste and smell have come back. Yes. Cool. Talk about that. What's that like then? Just getting that back. I mean, that must be. Well, it was so bizarre because not being able to not being able to taste um, anything at all. And then thinking after, I was one of the lucky ones, mine started to come back, I could get wafts of things on about day six, um, about 10%, you know, I might get a slightest smell of, yeah, a little waff of something and then, then it would go again and then the next day I would have no smell and then perhaps the day after that I might have 20%. And what I thought was after about, what was it, day 11, day 12, I thought that I had completely recovered a hundred percent both smell and taste 
And then it was only about three days after that, I went for a bike ride in the evening down uh, by the sea. Oh, and it smelled amazing. And I realised I hadn't been able to smell the outside. I'd only been able to smell things close up. It, and it, yeah, just to be able to smell, um, you know, the sea, the sea air, the sort of the spring, the flowers in, you know, the sort of the blossomy, the heady sort yeah. of smell in the evenings you get. Um, oh my God, it all smelled amazing. Now it just seems all normal again. But yes, I, can't, I, I it all felt very vibrant that first time after about two weeks. Yeah. And are you still involved in that online group then? I check in, yes. Like there's about one thousand six hundred people now from all uh, from all over everywhere, and so probably once every three days I check in, and and I might answer a question someone's got or do another questionnaire. For I did one recently for someone in France. Um, anything I can do to try and help build up a, a bigger profile as to what um, some of the symptoms or what people experience because there's a lot of people on that group who have tested positive so your job um you're involved with uh, people who are extremely vulnerable and who probably um what as you say are, are self-isolating because of this but there must be an element of of concern and worry with them as well that um both from yourself and also th- them themselves what what's that been like and how have you helped those people who are experiencing this in a, in a very unique way? It's been really interesting. And I think one of the things... So today I was with um, my lovely 87-year-old. Um, she is in uh, shared housing, you know, sort of social housing where you've got the wardens downstairs and you've got the red cords you can pull. So it's independent flats Um there's no family members allowed in now. I'm only allowed in because she doesn't have anybody else. Um, so I go, she has no family left in the world. So I'm allowed to go in twice a week to see her and bring her shopping, etc. What I found interesting today, what I am taking now a little bit more for granted, so me bringing her shopping, and then sort of forgetting that she doesn't know that you have to queue up social distance now outside Tesco's on the pavement. You have to follow the the arrows through the aisles. Um, the staff are behind the perspex, clear things. So some things I choose to tell her, some things I don't because she's a bit confused. But I did tell her those things today and she was because she doesn't know what is going on in the outside world, really apart from what she watches on the television. So for her, you know, she just said to me, oh, can you can you go out and buy me a hoover from somewhere? And I said, oh, I'm not, I can't, there's not really anywhere to buy a hoover from at the moment. You, you know, it's just... Yeah. She was in a nursing home uh, for two years, two years ago, and she was saying to me today that she feels so incredibly lucky that she's not in that nursing home because she doesn't think she would be here if she had remained in the nursing home. Um, So it's quite interesting watching someone who has not really been out for, well, what are we on now, four weeks, five weeks? She can sit in the shared garden, which she chooses to do for about 15, 20 minutes a day. 
Um, but it's quite interesting watching someone trying to piece what the outside world is like through snippets which she hears from me or she reads in the paper. What does she make of it? She just keep well. She today she just kept saying that she felt really lucky to be in in place and not in the nursing home uh, because unfortunately my I received a phone call whilst I was with her and I don't normally well I never take a phone call when I'm with a client but it was my auntie in Scotland and um, I was told I found out yesterday that my uncle in a care home in Scotland over half the residents have died from coronavirus and he had a test yesterday public health came in so when I was with Pat I just said to I need to take this phone call Pat it's it's information about my uncle and he has been tested positive for the coronavirus so I it you know I came off the phone and I said I'm really sorry Pat I wouldn't normally have taken that but my uncle now uh, has just tested positive in the care home in Scotland um and so that so we were having a chat that's when she was saying how lucky she feels for not being in a residential care and what about your uncle then i mean your aunt must be worried sick about that well what's been really difficult is that in Scotland they they he's in a care home <clears throat> outside of Dundee and he's went there about 3 months ago he's got Parkinson's plus. Uh, he's my dad's brother, and my dad died two years ago from parking as a result of different challenges with his Parkinson's. Um, and so they had lockdown before we had lockdown here in the care home. So my auntie, who's been married to my uncle for fifty odd years, and they've always lived in the same house, has not seen my uncle for about six weeks now. Now that the residents, uh, they there was a number of them last week who tested positive, who have since died. She's she's not even she's not able to speak to him. He's not able to move his hands. He's got like a it's with his Parkinson's plus. He can't use the phone, and the members of staff now aren't able to kind. They he has to be fed, <clears throat> but for anyway they so he's not able to speak to my auntie. So he's in complete isolation in his room and she's she rings every day and speaks to the care manager to find out how he is. And it was yesterday when she rang to say that he's not he's really not well and that public health had been in to do the test and the numbers of those residents are there now is yeah, it's it's over half of the residents. <sighs> so it's really, really worrying and and it just is a desperate situation for my yeah. auntie and for my uncle and for the me and my brothers. There's only we're a tiny family. So, yes. Um, it brings it home to you, I think. I mean, you talking about your own symptoms and going through all of that, then hearing about your uncle and Pat saying how she is so lucky. You know, when you, when it comes home to you through your uncle's situation, you know, you realise, don't you, that, the things we're talking about, like the two meters at Tesco, and I mean, it puts that in perspective. Um, yeah. Where, uh, and 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 I think it helps you deal with the challenges of the day to day of lockdown when you know that actually 
staying inside and being you know if you're with your family being safe with your family is actually a luxury compared to the experiences of some people around the country absolutely and i must say i I say to my son quite a lot um how incredibly lucky we are we've got a garden we've got a beach we've got a really lovely luckily the new lodger who moved in has been an absolute godsend um helping when i was ill um as well as just being another adult in the house um and yeah he's a personal trainer so he's been getting me and kai fit we're in the garden at 7 <laughs> seven thirty in the morning three days a week seriously doing all weights and jogging around and so i say to kai we are so when he might say oh i'm really bored and i say i know kai it's really hard but we are so lucky we have a garden yeah. we have the beach we have the bikes we have mat we have enough money we have enough food on the table there are so many people who are just not as fortunate and we've got to count our blessings. And that's what me and Pat were saying earlier on as well. She was saying about how lucky she felt for being yeah. in her situation. And I said, I know it's really important to count your blessings, isn't it, sometimes? And just remind yourself how lucky we are compared to so many people. But today, yeah. I must say, I felt after having that news from my auntie, I I felt really quite, obviously, quite upset and uh yeah I'm worried I'm really worried for them yeah absolutely and the thing is you can't do anything can't do anything and when else in your and even my brother was saying earlier when we spoke about it and he was saying if the worst comes to the worst he was saying Jane what do we do about the funeral they have no children my auntie and uncle me and my two brothers are the only living relatives they have and they're in Scotland we're here and I was saying, we wouldn't be allowed to go to the funeral. We wouldn't be allowed to travel to get to Dundee. You know, and I said, I don't, I can't go that far in my head. But the reality is, it, it how unfair does it feel that you wouldn't, you wouldn't even be able to, if the worst comes to the worst, you wouldn't even be able to go and honour someone's life who played a big part in our lives, our uncle did. And anyway, yeah, so it's... And there's a lot of people who are, who are living that at the moment. What a worrying time for you and I really feel for you. And I hope, you know, let's hope he, he pulls through. There are people surviving this. I think that's an important thing to say, isn't it? It's, yeah. But it's it it's a body blow when you've got underlying health conditions. Well, that's, that's yeah, exactly. And um, so I like my auntie said when on the phone, we're just going to have to take it step by step and hour by hour over the next sort of couple of days and see see what transpires let's look ahead to maybe when this is all over and we don't know when it's all over this is week five we're in week five at the moment what is it what what are you looking forward to what are you hoping what are your hopes around around all of this my hope and you might think i'm i am an optimistic person my hope the very 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 long term and into the future i think we've become much more of a global community i'm a bit of a community well i like to think i'm a bit of a community-minded person um and i always kind of defined community by you know your immediate community your neighbors your friends up the road whereas i think people have a much wider sense of community now with all the technology which has enabled us to connect and 
keep in touch and expand all what we do whilst we're in lockdown. I'm doing Zoom choirs with people in Australia. I did a Zoom course yesterday with people who were in Tokyo, Brazil. Yeah, my world is kind of, it's a bit of a paradox, isn't it? My world is a lot smaller in one way, but in another way, it's become a lot larger. And my long-term hope is that people will really realise the value of people a lot more, and whether that's your immediate community or the wider community. My, without getting too political, my hope for the long term is that we invest as a country a lot more in social care and a lot more in the NHS. And I think, and I would hope that that is something which is going to happen. And on a very personal level, the kind of the, the, the more immediate hopes, I'm just really looking forward to seeing my friends and hugging them. <laughs> Yeah, and being able to go and see my brothers up north, and just, but I, I'm, I kind of don't go there too much in my head because I don't know when that is all going to be possible. If tomorrow it all ended and we were, could do whatever we wanted, is there a a light something, a something that you would immediately do? Would you get your favourite takeaway from or hop down to yeah. the local? Indian restaurant or you know is there something that's you know a guilty pleasure that you can't do at the moment do you know good question what I would probably do some of these the online things the zoom choirs and the zoom meditations and the zoom they're all with my what I would have done before in person in Brighton so actually what I would probably do is absolutely go dancing go singing in person with all the people who I haven't been able to do that with so I would be, yeah, celebrating through voice and dance, I think. That's fantastic. Well, roll on post-lockdown um, and maybe exactly. we catch up. However, we don't know how long this is going to go on for, so maybe we'll catch up again through this. I wish you all the luck. I mean, you're you're in the front of it all helping people, aren't you? I mean, I know that's your job, but it's part of what a lot of people are doing as their job and having to adapt in your work and your personal life at the same time is the thing that we're all doing, I think, at the moment, if you're lucky enough to have a job still and be employed. Sorry, I just suddenly, it just dawned on me then. I've only been doing this work for about two years. I had a lot of um, bereavements in my family. My mum and dad died. And and I was a project manager for a charity for 17 years and off around the world, setting up projects in Rwanda and Palestine and India and and I and I worked for this charity for 17 years and when I left I just needed a break and I had my own little business as well and I stopped that and the companionship work I'm doing is something which has enabled me just to take a, a time out from life a little bit from not doing as much as I used to do and it was almost and I'm just being very honest now I kind of was always a little bit embarrassed because I was like, oh, I, I used to be a project manager for a, an international, you know, uh, charity. And uh, now I'm just doing a little bit of companionship work. Whereas this, since lockdown, since all of this, it's made me feel incredibly grateful that I'm able to do this work. It's made me feel that there's a much more of a value placed on it from people and I imagine that's how all the nurses feel like and all the care workers mm. and actually it's just made me realize that because I was thinking yeah this has always felt like a temporary thing whilst I'm I'm doing something I'm doing this um, in between something else 
but it's made me realize how important and valuable it is so yeah anyway just adding that and actually that whole redefinition of work and status is a really interesting thing and I think as a society I'm I join you in hoping that that status associated with certain jobs and things that you do is redefined and you know that gratitude that I feel for the Amazon delivery driver when he brings the thing that I can't get anywhere else the gratitude I feel for the checkout person at Tesco or Sainsbury's or wherever you know I feel immense gratitude that these people are making sure that I can eat (laughs) exactly and you know know how beautiful that actually yes if one of the good things one of the hopes could be that people yeah like you summed up really nicely that people's definition of uh, status and things like that is changed yeah Mm. I will no longer be slightly kind of oh well I'm just doing this as a little bit of work well I absolutely just think god yeah this is really important right now what I'm doing and I wouldn't choose to do anything else right now yeah that's really good well, look, Jane, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Hope we can catch up again. Yes. If that's not on this podcast, then hopefully post-lockdown, I'll see you on the street and we can actually meet each other. That would be nice. So let's look forward to that then. Thanks for listening to A Street in Lockdown. For more stories, go to a streetinlockdown.co.uk.